The following presentation was recorded at the Newbury Buddhist Monastery, Victoria, Australia. Please visit our website at nbm.org.au. So, um, I also welcome now the people who will be watching this later down the track on uh, YouTube because um, it's being recorded or it's actually being live streamed at the moment, but then it will be made available later down the track. So my name is Bhantabodhi Dajja. I'm one of the monks from Bodhinyana Buddhist Monastery over in Western Australia, but I have been coming to Newbury Buddhist Monastery for I think the last five or six years. Well, we just actually had the anniversary of NBN here, seven years. So it must be a little bit more. I came here the first time with my friend, I I think it must have been 2015. Okay, so today I would like to talk about the Brahma Viharas. And I have also brought some slides that um, the, uh, Langdon will help me with to show at this stage. There we go. Yes, and there is actually a black slide on purpose here. So nothing has gone wrong. <laughs> there is no technical problems or whatever. Because as it very often happens in life, we have these times of darkness. And they might be a lockdown, they might be something like COVID, which is happening to us right now. But they might also be losing a loved one, maybe as you are experiencing now even in connection with COVID, or being separated from your loved ones, not being able to see them, or even, you know, yeah, losing them to um, sickness, having them die, or being in a dark place yourself, um, be it in a physical way that you are suffering some kind of illness um, temporarily, or that it might even be some kind of chronic condition, or that, um, you might be depressed or feeling really low, feeling really in a kind of a dark place. So having some um, mental illness that um, is present, again, maybe temporarily, but maybe also for a longer period of time. And so how do we address those times of darkness? One important thing is that we don't just focus on all the bad things that are happening, focus all on all the bad news out there in the world, but that we actually remind ourselves that there is light, that there is light there, that there is hope out there. So this, um, I think, looks a bit more like an exploding star, but let's just assume it is a star, like, our sun out there, which is radiating into the universe. And this huge energy that is being propelled out into space. And this radiance, um, for the sake of the talk this morning, um, is actually what I want to talk about. So the so-called Brahma Viharas. So they can be translated in many different ways, but one of the ways to translate 
Brahma Vihara, as you can see at the bottom there of the slide, is it's the four highest hangout places for the mind. And it is very helpful to know what they are. And it is even more helpful to be able to kindle them, to encourage them, to um, have them grow in our own hearts and to basically be able to, when they're cultivated and when they're strong, to also radiate them outwards. So there's four of them. So we have number one here, which is metta. Uh, that's the Pali terms. I'll go into the English afterwards. Then we have the next one, which is karuna. That's number two. Number three is mudita. And number four is upeka. Now, okay, let's go in a little bit more detail. And um, so the first one here, I like to use the word love for it. It's a special type of love, though. It's not the kind of uh, movie love that we see um, in uh, Hollywood or whatever or Bollywood or wherever it is, it is an unconditional love. It's an unconditional kindness. And that's what I would like to focus on during the talk today. But I just wanted to introduce all of them together because they really belong together. They are just different aspects of this radiance that is coming from the sun, that is coming from the star. And the sun is actually a beautiful simile to be using as well, because the sun is shining unconditionally. It doesn't say I'll be just shining on these kind of people that I like, and I'm not going to be shining on the other people, or even on uh, inanimate things or situations. Uh, it doesn't pick and choose. It just radiates. It's its nature to shine and to share. So the second one, um, the word I like to use there is care or caring, a very deep concern for other beings, but it is also kind of a reaction. So care is kindled in that respect because we see suffering and because we wish that that suffering uh, might be alleviated or that we even, as Ajahn Brahm said in the past in one of his talks, that we prevent the suffering that is coming down the track somewhere. So that we put this care into whatever we are doing, this compassion as it's sometimes also called, and the action to make sure there won't be suffering down the track if it can be avoided. If it does appear, then of course we deal with it as it appears and in a nice way, in a wholesome way. Then the next one is joy. It's uh, appreciative joy. It's um, um, uh, rejoicing basically with the good things that are happening out in the world and also wishing that there might be more of them, that these things might um, prosper in our world. And uh, yeah, I just put this out of the way here, sorry. <laughs> that, this joy might spread. And that also includes ourselves. So all of those ones are important to also um, include ourselves. Again, the sun is shining on everybody and that includes us as well. 
And then the last one um, is a very deep balance. It is a groundedness. It is making sure that we are connected, that we are in touch, but that we are not getting swept away, that we're not getting sucked in, that we're not getting involved in such a way that we are getting lost because then um, we can't really be helpful. We can't really get the full benefit of um, this fourth Brahma Vihara. Okay, as I mentioned before, um, today I would like to focus on number one, on Metta. But before we go there, I just wanted to um, bring up a quote from the suttas, from the Anguttara Nikaya here, the Pabhasara Sutta. So Pabhasara means radiant. And that fits in very well with the theme that we have here today. So it says there, this mind, which is the citta in Pali, is radiant, but it is corrupted by passing corruptions. So it is covered over, like when we were in the beginning with that black slide, it was dark and it was black. Why was it dark? Why was it black? Because it was covered over, because there were clouds. And these clouds, number one, what is important is that they're passing clouds. And these clouds are the corruptions, as uh, Ajahn Sujato translates them, basically the kilesas, the upa kilesas, sometimes also um, uh, translated as defilements. So it's something which covers, which spoils, which um, make, um, uh, basically um, inhibits the light from coming through. And that is another important point. So if the mind is freed from all defilements, if the mind is freed from all those unwholesome states, then it radiates very naturally. So these are the natural emotions. These are the highest ideals in Buddhism that are automatically radiated by beings that have um, reached the end of the path. But um, then it's like very high and aspirational for um, most of us. So is there also a way to kindle them and encourage them along the way? And as always, with all the suttas and that the Buddha teaches, they have some structure and it's not different here with the Metta Sutta that we um, chanted before. The fuel of this sun to be able to radiate are the three basic steps that we have in Buddhism, sila, samadhi, and panya, which is virtue, keeping the precepts, meditation, and then developing wisdom. First, the kind of practical wisdom in life and the wisdom that we learn from other people, but then the wisdom within ourselves, within our hearts, um, from the experience that we have, from our own lives, from our own experiences. Okay, so the next thing I would like to do is to go through the Metta Sutta that we just chanted uh, before, um, step by step. I won't you know, go too much into detail, but just to show you that that structure is there as well. <laughs> so a little bit of uh, history before we go into the Sutta here. 
is um, how it came to be. So apparently um, the commentaries say that the monks were going to a place um, in the foothills of the Himalayas and over there they uh, wanted to spend the rains retreat. Or basically they actually went there and the lay people liked to have monks. They said, we will support you and please stay here for the rains retreat. Like the monastics that are staying here at NBN now, the monks and nuns spending their rains retreat. So the monks settled and were very, very happy. The lay people, you know, built them uh, simple dwellings and made sure that they will get food every day so that they can survive. Um, and it was very beautiful in the forest there. But apparently, after a couple of days, all the monks started to experience some beings and some noises and some disturbances. And uh, it says that these were um, uh, earth-dwelling devas, like tree devas, that came to disturb them because they felt, you know, I mean, this is our place. It's, it's, it's okay <laughs> that you come and uh, stay for a little while, but um, maybe now, you know, determining to stay here for the rains for three months, they weren't too happy with that. So the story goes that the monks went back to the Buddha and asked him for advice and said, look, I mean, this is really difficult the way it has turned out, um, as it sometimes turned out, turns out in our lives. I don't think we have tree-dwelling devas or earth-dwelling devas that are um, disturbing us, but there's many other things, situations, uh, people that uh, can come and disturb us. So uh, the Buddha advised them to have metta, to have unconditional kindness, and he taught them the metta sutta, and apparently they memorized it and they went back chanting that sutta um, on the way back to the hill there. And then they were practicing what it says in that sutta. And from then forth, they had a harmonious, happy abiding with those devas in that place. Okay, let's uh, go to the sutta there. So loving kindness sutta, uh, as it is um, translated very often. It is found in the Sutta Nipata, uh, number 1.8. So if uh, you want to look that up after the talk, you can. Basically, it's what we chanted. But very often we chant things and we don't really think about it or we don't reflect or we don't let it go deeper into our hearts. So the beginning says, this is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Peace. So before we start, um, you know, wishing everyone well, <laughs> we start with the first step in the teachings of the Buddha, and that is always sila, that is always virtue. So we know what goodness means, and we are skilled in that, we are practiced in that. And then we also know the whole path, we know the Eightfold Path of the Buddha, which basically is summarized uh, with uh, virtue, meditation, and wisdom. Okay, so that is stated there in the beginning, okay? <laughs> Very often, we kind of jump over that first paragraph here, which is introducing this very important sutta that is chanted on so many uh, different occasions. Good, then, next one. Um, oops, uh, I was a bit too quick here. Let me go back here. No, this is what should be. Yes, that's right. Oh, okay. We're having some little issues here. <laughs> Let's see. 
Okay. Um, let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech. So um, this gentle in speech apparently also means that we are easily approachable, that we are easy to speak to, that we are easy to admonish as well if there is things that haven't been uh, done that, that, uh, uh, that properly, that we are honest and upright. Then also important that we are humble, that we are not proud, that we don't kind of put ourselves above other beings. So that's again with this radiating, with this meeting, with, with this connecting with whoever we are with, with whatever situation we are with, to do that on the same level, not to look down at um, these things, at people, at situations. And then another thing here, of course, especially for monastics, but also for lay people, not to be too busy, to have too many duties, to be too involved, because as you all will know, the more involvement there is, the more this kind of energy that we need um, to um, cultivate those states is kind of zapped away. And then also frugality, not having too many things, um, not being you know, also um, engaged in too many of those um, projects and, and kind of physical things that also take up our time, but also our mental energy. And then when these things are in place, then we can be peaceful and we can be calm. And that is the groundwork which needs to be done. Again, that is very, very important. If we don't have a certain amount of peace and balance, then it's very, very difficult to find a space to even cultivate those things. And then we are wise and skillful. That is more of a practical um, wisdom and skill that is meant here, um, less so the panya that comes later in the path. Then we also had a proud, uh, which fits in with uh, uh, that we are not conceited and humble, uh, and that we are not demanding so that we are easily satisfied. And then let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. So who are those wise people? Of course, uh, the most wise person here <laughs> is the Buddha who has gone, yes, but he's given us the Dhamma, he's given us a roadmap, he's given us the precepts to keep, and um, that is what we are following here. And then, of course, we also have our teachers. We have um, examples in our lives um, that might be other monastics, or it might also be people in day-to-day -day life. Right, so what's next? Let's see how um, <laughs> the formatting of the slides is going to go. It's, it's messed it up a little, little bit. Okay, yes. So now it's big, but now it's black. Okay, good. Next one. <laughs> it's doing some funny things here the computer. Good. And then once we have sila established, once we have a happiness within ourselves from being virtuous, then we start wishing that other beings may be in gladness and in safety and that they may be at ease so that they may be happy. So that is Number one, safety. And then number two, there is two aspects of being happy. Um, 
that is the physical happiness or the physical ease and then the mental happiness and the mental ease and that is kind of the summary of what is coming afterwards then in the next stanza at uh, in this slide here yeah it all goes small now should be big but anyway then we have the breaking of the boundaries here but that is very very condensed here so you usually start with things that are easier if you do meta practice in meditation you um, um, uh, take a person or an object where it is easy to have the, these well wishes towards and then you start spreading it um, to uh, beings that you know less and to beings that are more difficult so but basically here in this stanza i will read it out it says whatever living beings there may be whether they are weak or strong omitting none the great and the mighty medium short and small the seen and the unseen those living near and far away those born and to be born so we are not excluding everyone so again this is the ideal but we have to work our way up to that step by step and Ajahn Brahm actually uses a very um, a helpful simile here he says it's a little bit like a fire so you have your fire it might be a little bit hard to get it started in the beginning so you take little pieces of wood you take kindling something that burns easily that takes the flame um, of metta of uh, unconditional kindness quite easily and then you grow that little fire and then you start to add the bigger pieces of wood and the bigger um, logs the sappy logs the old logs the wet wood uh, later down the track so and then when the fire is really really strong and really really radiant then it is able to radiate like the sun radiates indiscriminately and breaking down all the boundaries that um, might have been there before because of some defilements that are still um, present in the mind because of liking or uh, disliking especially in this case of some some people and situations okay then when we go to the next part it summarizes everything nicely again there again so may all beings be happy then it goes into the opposites and describes what we shouldn't have so let none deceive another or despise any being in any state so we are wishing that to the whole world so imagine if meta became um, uh, the mind state of all beings on this globe and we would all be radiating then we would be able to overcome the deceptiveness and the <laughs> what's the what's the noun of despise basically that the, the hatred or the looking down on people um, so the opposite there would be that we are honest but that we also have respect for all beings out there in the world and then we have the next two lines there let or the next line sorry let none through anger or ill will wish any harm upon another so again here we have the opposite of meta and making sure that that is not present 
So we have kindness instead of anger, and we have goodwill instead of ill will, and we wish only the best instead of wishing harm to any beings out there in the world. And that is what really brings harmony into this world. Good. When we carry on, uh, yes, it's all doing funny things to me now. Here we go. And there comes this very strong simile here, how Meta actually is radiating like a sun. So even as a mother protects with her life, her child, her only child. So with a boundless heart, should one cherish all living beings, radiating kindness over the entire world, up and down in all directions, uh, outwards and unbounded, freed from ill will and hatred again. So very strong imagery here, but I think it is an imagery which might really be helpful, especially for the mothers out there who have that connection with their child and who know exactly what we are talking about. But I think even for beings who are not parents or not mothers and fathers can imagine what that must feel like. So in a child, we usually see the potential. We see the seeds. We know that they're sometimes a bit clumsy, but when they are clumsy, we often see it as something cute instead of seeing it as something you know, nasty or they have it in, in for us or whatever. And that allows us to kind of put aside the things that might be difficult, that might be irritating, and to focus on the potential, to focus on the goodness in that being and to make sure that we encourage that, that we grow that, that we wish that that might become bigger and better and more and more radiant. So a very, very nice simile that the Buddha has used here and a very strong one as well. And uh, then if we go back to the sutta and carry on here, now that's when those states don't just become hangout places, that's when they actually become abiding, sublime abiding. So the word Brahma Vihara is what is used in this um, paragraph here. And how does that happen? By maintaining this mind state, by valuing this mind state, by rekindling it again and again and carry it with you through your day-to-day -day life. So it says here, whether standing, walking, seated or lying down. That's basically all the kind of positions that this body of ours can be in. So basically saying no matter what we are doing, if we are horizontal or if we are vertical, if we are moving, if we are stationary, if we are sitting or standing, we should remember these qualities. We should kindle these qualities, not forget to kindle these qualities. And then free from drowsiness is the translation which is used here. Basically what it says, according to Bhikkhu is just whenever we are awake, we should be keeping this in our minds and hearts. And we should we sustain this recollection. And if we do that, then we are like a heavenly being. Then we are like a being which has been freed from all the defilements. Basically, a being which is free. Of course, that happens differently on a 
level, you know, out in the world than when we are actually meditating and letting go of these things deeply and then um, being able to access these emotions, these highest emotions, very, very naturally. Um, they grow, develop, manifest, and then radiate all by themselves. But uh, there is also ways of kindling them and there is also ways of cultivating them. And I will be talking about that a little bit uh, later down the track. Good. And then the sutta finishes off with the last part here, with the panya part, with the wisdom part, where it says, by not holding two false views, basically this describes the person who has right view, who has become a stream enter, who has entered the stream, who understands the teachings, has full confidence in the Buddha, the Dhamma and the Sangha, and therefore is on the path, is pure-hearted and has clarity of vision and is freeing from, freed from all sense desires. That's already a couple of steps further down the track. That is the third stage of enlightenment there. And then they, those beings are not born into this world again. So Metta takes us a long, long way, or Metta basically is a, a product which appear, or a, a, a side effect, so to speak, but a good side effect, a byproduct, which appears on the path quite naturally. But um, it has to go all the way to the end um, with uh, full enlightenment. So what is described in this sutta here is only to the third, third stage. But yeah, we say only. <laughs> this is already very, very high there. Okay, so that has... Um, uh, taken us through the Metta Sutta. Now, uh, let's just have a look at Metta in a bit more practical terms. So, when the Buddha went to go and see his disciples um, here in Majjhima 31, in the Chula Gosinga Sutta, he went to see three monks, um, Anuruddha, uh, Kimbala, and Mm, can't think of the third one now. <laughs> uh, Nandia, Nandia, that's right. And this is what he asked, or this is what he said. He, the Buddha talked to them and said, I hope you are living in harmony, appreciating each other without quarreling, blending like milk and water, and regarding each other with kindly eyes. That's one of the things where people often get mixed up and have uh, think you know it's milk and honey <laughs> but milk and honey doesn't mix that well unless it's hot milk so the idea here is that you have milk and water coming together and you have this emulsion that um, cre is created by that that builds one harmonious liquid and that's what happens when meta is present and what I really like in this saying here is it says, regarding each other with kindly eyes. So is it possible for us to develop this angle, to kindle this view of looking of, uh, at whatever we are looking with kindness, with kindly eyes? And then if we do that, we will be able to see the meta. It's already there, it's present, but it is often hidden. Right, so next slide. 
here is a summary of meta. So one way of describing meta could be unconditional kindness, but also unconditional friendliness. So the world, not the world, but the word meta um, is very closely related to the word mitta. And you might know the word kalyana mitta, a good, a noble friend. So metta, mitta, uh, maitri um, means friend. So means friendliness as well. Because sometimes when we talk about the world love and unconditional love, people might think it is a bit too difficult to reach. But kindness and friendliness is something which is a bit more um, reachable. It's a bit more, um, it's not such a high bar basically. And also if you want to use the word goodwill, that's another good word to describe meta. Right, if we want to, decide, uh, if we want to define meta a little bit more, uh, that's what I have on the next slide there. Uh, yep, coming up, very good. Uh, definition. So the definition of meta is the wish and the action for happiness and for welfare. So what we are focusing on is the welfare of all beings, of ourselves included, and the happiness as well. And I've talked about the kindling before. So um, the kindling agent here, how can we make sure that we grow this quality is by reflecting on the beautiful things, on the beneficial qualities, and also on seeing those beautiful things and seeing those beneficial qualities. One word that I really like here is beneficial. So very, very often if there is negative things happening in the world, we get so caught up in that negativity that we don't have the capacity to see what actually would be beneficial, what actually would lead to the solution of the problem instead of making everything worse. And there is another sutta which describes that quite nicely. So the opposite of metta is ill will, is resentment, is um, um, hatred as well, basically. And the Buddha has given us one sutta in the Anguttara Nikaya fives, the book of fives, 162, how to remove that resentment. Let's see what he has to say. He says, monks, you should use these five methods to completely get rid of resentment when it has arisen towards anyone. So I will just be going through the first three today uh, to describe metta. The other ones will be used later down the track for the other Brahma Viharas. So what five? What is number one here? How should you get rid of resentment for a person whose behavior um, by way of body is impure, but whose behavior by way of speech is impure? So we are now looking at a person in front of us and at the qualities of that person, at the behavior of that person. And the first one here has bodily behavior, which is pure, which, uh, no, sorry, 
uh, has bodily behavior here, which is impure, but he has uh, behavior in his speech, which is pure. And then what I especially like about this sutta is all the nice similes. So simile number one here, suppose monks, there is a monk who is wearing rag robes. That means just whatever is uh, discarded, basically. He is put, sewing together and wearing. And he sees a rag by the side of the road. Now they would hold it down with the left foot, spread it out with the right, right foot, tear, tear out what was intact and take it away with them. So that's exactly what I was talking about before, but it's so nicely put here in this simile. So this monk is a rag-wearing uh, monk, so he collects rags on the side of the road and then sews them together to use them. So he is looking for what is useful, what is beneficial, and he is tearing off the parts that are not useful, that are not beneficial. And what the Buddha has to say after the simile here is, he says, in the same way, at that time, you should ignore that person's impure behavior by way of body and focus on their pure behavior uh, by way of speech. That's how to get rid of resentment um, for that person. All right. Then we have number two. So, sorry for, for the formatting things here, but I think you can see um, what I'm trying to show. <laughs> it's a bit too complex for this computer. How should you get rid of resentment for a person whose behavior of speech is impure and whose behavior of body is impure as well? So it's now harder to find those useful, those beneficial parts. And the simile the Buddha uses here, suppose there was a lotus pond covered with moss and aquatic plants. Then along comes a person struggling in, uh, strug struggling in the oppressive heat, weary, thirsty and parched. They would plunge into the lotus pond, sweep apart the moss and aquatic plants, drink from their cupped hands and be on their way. Again here, very nice simile, and it describes the person who is oppressed by the heat. And the heat usually in the suttas um, show, uh, means all those defilements that are present in our, in, our, in, our, in our minds. And he's wary and hot and thirsty and parched. So he would like to get some sustenance. He would like to get something positive into his system and some cold water at the same time. So he jumps into the pool, he washes, he cools down, and he also drinks at the same time. But again here, he has to brush away um, the, the vegetation at the top, and that means ignoring, putting aside the things that create the irritation, that pull us into the wrong direction. So that is number two. And then we have number three. I think that is my favorite because it's such a vivid picture there. Um, here we go. How should you get rid of resentment for a person whose behavior by way of body and speech is impure, but who gets an openness and clarity of heart from time to time, clarity of mind from time to time? 
So harder, again, the behavior and the words of the person are bad, basically, but there is still some goodness. There is still some potential. There is still something shining through the cracks. So what do we do? Suppose there was a little water in a cow's hoof print. That is very little water. Then along comes a person, again, struggling in the oppressive heat, weary, thirsty, and parched. They might think, this little bit of water is in a cow's hoof print. If I drink it with my cupped hands or a bowl, I'll stir it up and disturb it. So the more difficult that it gets, the more careful we have to be, <laughs> the more careful we have to tread. So he would make it undrinkable. We would make the light um, disappear, basically. Then we just the, whoosh, the clouds close and that, that's it. So he says, says to himself, why don't I get down on all fours and drink it up like a cow, then be on my way. So that is very, very beautiful here. So there is even a chance to do that. And I will be going in number four um, next time when we talk about compassion, when we talk about caring, because that is the way to deal with people and situations when they are so dire that we don't even see the light shining through the cracks, but it is still there. But anyway, I'll leave that to next time. What I wanted to discuss now is one thing that I came up with over the last couple of years to describe the process of meta. Because it is a gradual process, like we talked about the fire, we're saying, you know, you have to kindle it and it gets brighter and brighter. And if you see um, meta as a journey, like I have here in the next slide, um, if you can see that here, yes, coming up, here we go, yes. So you have the sun at the end on the horizon there, and you have a path which is leading to meta and it starts off at the wrong end so to speak but we have to start off somewhere and then slowly slowly makes it way make, makes its way to to uh, this um, concept of meta so let us go through um those um um uh, what are they called landmarks on the journey um fairly quickly but uh, I feel it's, it's quite a nice summary to remind ourselves of what um, the obstacles might be and how to overcome these obstacles. Right, so my computer is a bit slow at the moment. Let me see. Okay, uh, ba -ba 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 -ba, that was a bit quick. Yep, so let's see if we can come, come back. Uh-oh, uh, maybe I have to use this one. Right, so. The opposite of meta, as we said, is ill will. And ill will could be described by a catchphrase here as you don't belong, you don't deserve my love. And that's basically excluding someone completely, not seeing the light that is there at all. And that is, so to speak, the starting point there. We have to start somewhere. Next is that we start to shame, blame, or use guilt. So we are saying, I am not enough. 
I'm too much or you are not enough, you are too much of something, we start to judge um, other people and ourselves. And that is, of course, again, the opposite of unconditionally accepting someone or accepting a mind state. If we move on, on this path, uh, and if the computer moves on as well, <laughs> it doesn't want to go further at the moment, let's see. Uh, maybe I have to click it again. Here we go. We start to use techniques like intimidation and threats. So we say, do what I say or do what I want. And if that is the case, then I will love you in return. But again, that is control and not meta there. But we are getting a little bit closer. The next part there is a control and expectation. I love you if you do what I want. So um, very similar to what I described before, but um, a bit softer. Next one, tolerance. So we start to bear with the other person. We start to bear with the quality within ourselves, but we still maintain that we are right. We still maintain that we are control, uh, in control, that we have control. So the pride basically comes into the picture there again. Next one is when we, okay, mm -hmm. doesn't want to come, there we go. When we look at it in terms of reciprocity. So we think, okay, I'll give a little bit, you give a little bit. If you give a little bit, I'll give a little bit. But if you don't give, I won't give. So again, closer, but not quite there yet. Once we start to get into the good waters, we can still be nice, but we can be distant. We can be cold. So we don't really want to get too involved in a situation. We don't really connect fully with what is happening there. We are a bit reserved in this whole endeavor. Next one is when we have already launched into it, but we start to develop fear of loss, fear of isolation. If we do lose the person or the access to the situation uh, or to the um, uh, resources, whatever it might be, so we think, I don't want to lose you. I don't want to lose um, it, whatever it might be. And that is the so-called close enemy um, of meta, the attachment and the grasping, the thinking of we are inseparable with this other person or with the situation out there. And we will find out later down the track that that is actually not the case, <laughs> that everything is impermanent. And then we suffer as a result. Good. So that is a summary of what is leading up to Meta. So I just wanted to have that slide there. So if people want to stop it and have a look at it um, in detail, what I went through as a recap, there we go. Now we go to what Meta actually is though. So, number one, respect. So we respect another person, but we don't just respect their strength and choices, 
but also their limitations. We do understand that there are limitations, but we don't give them so much value as was described before. Next one is acceptance. So we take the other person as they are. We take the situation as it is. It doesn't mean that we can't change things, but always as a first step, we accept what actually is there. And then we work with that because if we have resistance, then we're just adding to the problem, which is already there. Next one here is uh, not coming yet. Let me see, here we go. Yes, is unconditional kindness. And that is basically the quote from Ajahn Brahm's dad that he uses to describe metta, the door of my heart is open to you, to the person, to yourself, to the situation, even if. So complete unconditional love, as we talked about. Then we have forgiveness, which is part and parcel of this as well. It's often the hardest thing to give, but we forgive the person. Again, we see the potential in them of getting better. We realize there is no point holding on to those negative things. We want to get through to the benefit and the benefit for everyone. And the best thing we can do is to drop our side, to drop the burden of carrying these things with us. If we need to protect ourselves, we can put safeguards into, um, uh, into the relationship and boundaries. Uh, yes, of course, but forgiveness is always very, very important because otherwise we just basically drag these things around with us and they uh, uh, weigh us down. Next one is friendship, the friendness that we talked about. So we can say to another person, we are in this together and you can count on me. We can count on a friend in good times, but also especially in bad times. And then the last one here is the freedom and the encouragement, which is so important. So we say to another person, do your thing, I trust you and I support you. And very often we will find that when we trust and support, those beautiful qualities actually grow in these people. If we don't trust and if we don't support them, they are very, very likely to actually show the negative behavior even more. All right, and on the next slide, I just have them all highlighted once more. Uh, there we go, hopefully. No, not yet. Try once more. Yay. Okay, so if you want to have a look uh, of uh, all the ones that we went through, here they are. Good. Okay. And they're just a little nice picture I found on uh, uh, online, which basically describes love acceptance, allowance, being thankful, attending to people, letting them be, embracing them, holding them, caring for them. Okay. Then I do have a little poem I would like to read out to finish off here. So, love means letting go. Letting go of the expectation to gain something. 
letting go of the idea of losing something when you give. Letting go of the compulsion to play a role to please others. Letting go of views how others should be. Letting go of the desire to take possession of things and people. Letting go of the state of being dependent. Letting go in order to be free to really love others. And this little poem was written by this guy on the right here, <laughs> which is myself. Uh, many, quite a few years ago, uh, when I was 21, I temporarily ordained in Bangalore under Most Venerable Acharya Buddharakita. And uh, he is the monk who actually gave me the name Bodhidharma and that I um, decided to keep also when I became a monastic under Rajan Brahm in Western Australia. And that is basically the highest um, um, expression of love that we are able to not control, to not get involved, to let go. And that is the moment um, that comes especially when people are dying, when our loved ones are dying. And of course, we love to be with them and they sometimes feel a responsibility also to still be there and to fight with their sickness or illness, whatever, even though they have reached a point where their body and their mind is completely worn out. And that is the moment which is so crucial and which is so important that we then can go into that um, relationship with that person and give them the permission to die have them let go, have you let go as the highest expression of love and do their own thing. And if that is um, going through the dying process at this time, then so be it. Of course, the same thing happens with our children. There comes a point where we have given them all we could with the best intentions, with as much love as we could, and the moment comes where they start to become responsible for their own lives more and more. We take some responsibility for them, responsibility for them uh, in the beginning of their life, but that becomes less and less. And the more we're able to let go, the more they're actually able to grow their independence and to grow their um, um, responsibility themselves. And then we let them go to have their own lives, to have their own families, to have their own careers, to, yes, do their thing. <laughs> so we trust that what we have given them as a gift is in their hearts and they will be carrying with it with them that wisdom and drawing from it in their own lives. We can't be protecting them forever. We can't be holding them back because that wouldn't be the right thing to do. Okay, so that is a little talk on the first Brahma Vihara, on Metta, on unconditional love. And I do have a couple of phrases that we could um, let sink into our hearts and meditate for a little while. I'm, I'm aware um, I've already talked for a little while, but I think it would be nice if we could do this together. Um, I'll just uh, 
make sure I switch off the slides here where they're not used anymore or they're not needed anymore. And um, I encourage you to um, find a comfortable position and to close your eyes for a little while and to just see or actually not see, feel what the words that I'm going to be reciting, these are meta mantras, what kind of feelings they kindle in your heart if they are able to kindle um, these feelings of, of metta. And the first one is by Bhante Gunaratana, a dear monk who is in his 90s, I think now, or definitely 80s, uh, from the Bhavana Society over in uh, the US. I had the privilege to meet him in Germany one time. And he has this wonderful um, uh, summary of metta. Okay, so close your eyes, become comfortable, relax, and then please follow my voice and try to see how your mind reverberates, what happens when I um, breathe out these things here. May I be well, happy and peaceful. May you be well, happy and peaceful. May we be well, happy and peaceful. May no harm come to me. May no harm come to you. May no harm come to us. May no difficulty come to me. May no difficulty come to you. May no difficulty come to us. May no problems come to me. May no problems come to you. May no problems come to us. May I always meet with spiritual success. May you always meet with spiritual success. May we meet always with spiritual success. May I have patience, courage, understanding and determination to meet and overcome inevitable, inevitable difficulties and failures in life. May you also have patience, courage, understanding and determination to meet and overcome inevitable difficulties and failure, failures in life. <laughs> Funny that I can't say these words properly, failure and inevitable. <laughs> May we have patience, courage, understanding, determination to meet and overcome inevitable, inevitable 
difficulties and failures in life, <laughs> like the failure to read this. And I have three more from La Sarmiento, a meditation teacher also in the US. May I be kind and gentle with myself, with you, and with us. May I trust that I am doing my best. May I trust that you are doing your best. May I trust that we are doing our best. And may I cultivate patience with myself, with you, and with us both. Okay, I offer this for your reflection. And please feel free to open your eyes and come back to the talk here and to the Q&A, as far as I understand, if there is any questions that people might have. Langdon, please. Thank you very much, Bhante, for the talk. There's a lot of uh, very appreciative comments uh, oh, in the live chat. And also six questions at this point, just to give you an idea. Goodness uh, gracious, so yeah, okay. <clears throat> uh, they have to be relatively brief in your answers. Okay, okay I'll try, yes, because um, we have lunchtime. And yeah, sorry for, uh, it was a bit long, but um, I've talked about this before and I just wanted to bring it all together. Yes, please. All right, the first one is maybe not so much a question for you as for the whole BSV or for the committee. Bante, is it possible there might be some good Zoomed sessions especially for younger people quite soon, even ones that might include meditation instruction. Right. Um, I mean, from what I understand, uh, here at the BSV, we do have a teens group that meets once uh, a month. Uh, I think it's usually on Saturday and Ajahn Sadaro is taking care of that. And I'm pretty sure they will be meditating there as well. And then there is a young adults group, it's called City Zen, and they do have their activities as well. And in the lockdown, I'm sure they will be doing things online over Zoom or over, you know, so many other platforms that are available. So uh, yeah, please have a look on, on our homepage and uh, become part of those groups and join their activities. And, you know, even if it's not the BSV, have a look around. These things are important. Yep. Thank you, Bhante. The next question is, which is better in practicing metta, while sitting in meditation or through the challenges of living the day-to-day -day routine of a normal life? <laughs> which is better, both. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it's like, like in, in, with, with any practice, you know, we practice meditation in order to improve our lives, but we also, practice sila and improve our lives in order to improve our meditation. So these things go hand in hand. So please bring as much kindness and compassion and care into your day-to-day -day life 
it might be a bit more difficult, but um, yes, it's still very, very important, especially if you're dealing with people, for example, that you don't agree with. Can you, even though you're not agreeing with a person, discard that part, like you're discarding the, uh, the part of the robe and see the positive part, or if you can't see the positive part, bring some positivity into the relationship yourself. Do something kind, do something compassionate towards those people. <clears throat> and you might even get some positive reactions and then kind of see the light that you're bringing in, reflecting back from them. So practice in your day-to-day -day life, but then in meditation, yes, bring metta into the picture, bring metta uh, to every meditation. It's, uh, it doesn't have to be um, the phrases that you're repeating, but have metta towards your body, have metta to your, towards your mind, have metta towards your uh, meditation object, and it makes everything softer, and it allows you to see your meditation object and your world through kindly eyes. So whatever it takes, please practice metta, um, as long as you are not sleeping, as long as you are awake, that's what it says. Try out to hang out in those highest um, places for the mind as much as you can. That would be my, my advice. <laughs> Thank you, Bhante. The next is a, like a two-part question that they're related mm -hmm. about anger. Right. So the first part is, what about bottled up anger and frustration that you are not aware of? Oh. And what do you do after you have an outburst? And the, the follow-up is, how do you deal with that bottled up anger to prevent an outburst? Right, yes. Ooh. Yes, so um, I've spoken about anger before and we, we could uh, spend quite a bit of time there. So I don't know how much I can, I can offer. But anger is basically like pain. So it is a signal to tell us something is not all right. And instead of having it bottle up and become a big thing and have an explosion like a volcano, you try to find out what, what, is, what is bubbling down there, where this lava is and where the pressure is building up and to address that. And very often um, uh, it has to do with boundaries that are crossed. So it's important to uh, realize where those boundaries are and to state to another person what's okay for you and what's not okay, <clears throat> where your boundaries are in certain situations. Or to, instead of lashing out, turning around with compassion towards that pain which is happening within yourself and soothing that pain, healing that pain, realizing Pain means ouch, <laughs> and ouch in the wound means we address the wound in the first place. And then if we realize what has created that wound, what has created that injury, and then of course we keep safe, we don't get ourselves in those situations. We talk to other people and say, look, um, this uh, creates hurt in me, this creates pain in me, this situation, can we find another way? So yeah, catching it early. Um, and that is again, meditation. So meditation and reflection to do that in, in your day-to-day -day life, to stop, to breathe, to feel if there is tension, if there is pain, if there is mental pain, to address it early and to not have it go to the point where, where it kind of explodes. Yes, um, that's what comes to mind. I, I hope I covered most of the points from your question there.
Um, if not, there is some talks that I've given uh, about, well, what was it, uh, the uh, uh, right effort. And there I actually go into a bit more detail how we can uh, deal with anger as well. Yep. Thank you, Bante. Were they on the BSV YouTube channel? Uh, yes. That talk was it the BSV? Yes. Yes, yes. I've given uh, uh, two talks on uh, right effort in the right, So just to just to mention, you can go to the BSV website, and under one of the links there is a section called Teachers, and right. you can click on the different monastics who have given talks over the years at the BSV, and there'll be a collection of all that monastics talks together. So you could go there and find each of Bhante Bodhidharma's earlier talks if you would like to go back and listen to those there. An easy way to find them. Uh, the next question, Bhante, we better keep moving. Yes. Uh, is a bit of a personal one for you in a way. Okay. Yes. Bhante, what kind of effort do you do for keeping the banner of enlightenment in your own heart? For me, the effort that maintains the Buddha's Dhamma in my own heart is the effort born of having met friends like you in my life that fill it full of meaning? Um, yes, it is. It is a constant. It is a constant reminder, and um, there is different things that remind you of um, your name, <laughs> Banner of Enlightenment, Bodhidharma, that uh, um, remind you of what is possible. And of course, as a monastic. There is lots of things in our day-to-day -day lives which um, remind us wearing a robe, having Buddha statues around, living with other beings who are on the same path, listening to the teachings, um, reading the teachings, um, getting inspired by things that you see in your life instead of getting despired or expired by the news and by all the bad things. Um, I think that's what what really keeps you keeps you going, and what also keeps me going. You know, if I'm in in a difficult time, you ask yourself, what do you come back to? What can you trust? Uh, uh, what do you have confidence in? And that is the Buddha Dhamma and the Sangha, the 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 realization that uh, waking up is possible, that we have some inkling of what it might mean, that there is a teaching that is freely available. The Buddha teaches with, with, with an open hand, as it's sometimes the mudra of the Buddha, um, how he's sitting and holding his hand to show, look, the teaching, it's not, it's not hidden, it's not covered. And then the Sangha, yes, the community of, of enlightened or of beings who are on the path towards enlightenment or who are already enlightened, who have at least done the first step. But then don't stop there. Also get inspired by any goodness that you can see in the world uh, and then use that as a catalyst. Um, yeah, okay. Uh, that was number four or five? No, I think that was number four, Bante. Yes, we're oh, working okay. through very, very efficiently. The next question is, can you talk about social anxiety in mm. the context of the four beautiful qualities? Thank you. Right. Uh, what does social anxiety mean? I mean, I, I know what anxiety is, and social anxiety, I guess, in connection with being together with people. Yes. I believe that's the that would be the standard definition. Yes, yeah. being anxious around other people. Yes. So 
especially now, of course, COVID has, has a certain part to that. So you feel uncomfortable because you might be able to catch the disease or whatever. So that is one aspect where you do keep your sa yourself safe, but don't stop being kind. Don't stop yourself engaging. Don't stop um, doing all the right things <laughs> at the right distance. And then if it's not to do with COVID, you also do it at the right distance and you do it from the right um, uh, right point. You're really grounded. And I think that's something we hopefully can talk about when we talk about the fourth Brahmoihara on some stage, <laughs> which is this groundedness and this balance. Again, it's this trust, it's this contentment within yourself, with yourself, because the anxiety basically comes again from feeling in a, in, inadequate, feeling that you're not enough, feeling that uh, you're doing the wrong thing or whatever it is. And no one out there in the world can really fix that for you. There will be people that will encourage you and will you know, tell you that you're a good person or whatever. But if it doesn't sink in, if we don't accept it, if we don't drink it up, if we don't um, uh, nurture it and, and really savor it within ourselves, and if we don't um, um, uh, develop it within ourselves, then that uh, anxiety, that mistrust uh, will, will always be there. So it's something we really have to grow within ourselves. And I do, do remember a, an occasion as, as, a, as a young young person, I, I, I didn't really feel very comfortable in crowds, but I remember there were times where I could be with other people and it was just fine, even though if no one spoke to me, even though um, if I wasn't, um, um, you know, encouraged or um, somehow made part of the group specifically, there is still an internal feeling that you can develop that you do belong and that everyone belongs and that we're all the same and that all of us have social anxiety at certain times where we don't feel comfortable in a group or in a situation and that it, that is just what um, life is about and that we learn to, to address that, to deal with that in a way, and to, again, see that spark within ourselves and let that shine. And then uh, some people might notice, but that's not the point. <laughs> the point is to find the light within ourselves and within other people and to, uh, yes, encourage it. I hope that helps. Next, uh, last one. Thank you, Bante. There is, just before I read the last question, someone has put in a comment for you that's saying, Bhante G at Bhavana Society is now 93 or now 94. He teaches live every Saturday and Sunday morning. There we go. Wonderful. Thank you. And the last question is, how can I, as a mother, help my children when they feel upset because of missing out socially online as I'm doing a no-tech day each week due to so much screen time during lockdown. So the, so she has implemented a, a screen, a no tech day each week, but now mm. the children are upset. Right, yes. Um, yeah, I mean, the, this is what people call FOMO, the fear of missing out. <laughs> and it is, it is a really um, um, fast moving world. Uh, uh, yeah, 
I mean, I'm not really involved in this. And then when I do get involved, maybe one or two days when, when we are organizing something and I, I'm, I'm a bit more, you know, I'm using WhatsApp or something uh, to, to, to get things organized. I'm usually overwhelmed by all these things. And I'm glad if I have a bit of time for myself without, you know, all these things uh, binging and buzzing. Um, yeah, I mean, in order to connect to other people, we really have to be able to connect to ourselves as well here. And um, if you can maybe just uh, try to encourage that the connection within the family or the connection within the people who are actually available at that time um, uh, takes precedence at that time so that uh, they don't feel, you know, I'm disconnected from my friends and I'm disconnected from everything. So if you can give them opportunities to connect, but in a real person-to-person uh, -person way. So if you can introduce during those days that you, I don't know, sit together in meditation or that you have tea together or that you um, uh, play a game together or that you go for a walk together or that you, I don't know, if you have pets or something, that you um, bring that social aspect into their lives um, but um, as a live <laughs> event, not as a, as a, as a digital event. And uh, to just tell them that, uh, or, you know, so, so that they can see how, how important this, this other connection is and that we can use also those other connections they have on social media or wherever to make an appointment to connect even with those people. I mean, I know it's lockdown uh, for people in Melbourne, so uh, I know a lot of these things might not be possible, but um, I think this uh, day that you're introducing is, is not just gonna be happening during the lockdown. And maybe to be a bit more lenient during the lockdown time, um, to not take away that social uh, aspect, but to um, have it maybe a bit more, um, uh, uh, what's the word, uh, you know, to choose it a bit more um, uh, mindfully instead of just scrolling through whatever to um, also, I don't know, maybe organize a Zoom call as a whole family or uh, something like that, where you still engage, but uh, in a way that is much more healthier and in a way that is actually active. I think I've heard what the biggest problem is, is that we are, um, connecting to these things, but that we're not really connected, that we are just consuming. And that is what really dr drains the energy, which increases the, the negativity even. So if we can start to engage and start to become active and bring kindness and compassion into these interactions, I think then uh, we can um, still get the most out of them. But um, if, if a whole day is too much, just do chunks um, where you say, okay, at this time we finish, rather than just having one day where it's completely off. Maybe, yeah, these things can help. Okay, I think the time has come. <laughs> yes, that was the last question. Thank you so much, Bhante. Very good. So we usually um, pay respects to the Buddha Dhamma Sangha, and that is usually the end of it. So thanks a lot for listening and joining. And uh, yes, please take care and uh, please bring those qualities, 
No, well, you can't. You don't have to bring them. <laughs> bring them out from your heart. Uncover them and let them shine. Okay, very good. Here we go. <laughs> Bye-bye.